Wedge Issues is brought to you by Wispolitics.com, a place where political insiders go for news, opinion, and campaign information. Once again, that's Wispolitics.com. Rebecca Clayfish is a former television journalist, a mom, a wife, and the lieutenant governor of the state of Wisconsin. She is running for re-election this year with Governor Scott Walker as they both seek a third term. I'm Jesse O'Poyan, and this is Wedge Issues, a Cap Times podcast about the 2018 elections in Wisconsin. Now, if you've ever met Rebecca Clayfish, you probably know she likes to talk. And you might have noticed by now that I do too. We talked for about an hour about her proudest accomplishments in office, the decision she made to leave TV and spend more time with her daughters, and of course a little bit of nerding out over journalism, beer, and cheese. Because we talked as long as we did, I am going to spare you, the listener, from this week's news roundup and cut right to the chase. Stay tuned in just a minute for my conversation with Rebecca Clayfish. I'm Rebecca Clayfish, and I am the Lieutenant Governor of the great state of Wisconsin, and I'm running for a contract renewal. We're asking for our jobs for four more years because our work's not done yet. If you look back at where Wisconsin was when we first asked for our jobs, we lived in a almost completely different state. Our biggest challenge then was that we did not have enough jobs for people. Our challenge has almost reversed itself. Today, it feels like we don't have enough people for jobs, when in fact, we need to make sure that the folks who are eager to jump into the workforce have the right training and qualifications to take the jobs that we have open today. And we know there are a lot of them. We also want our economy to generate even more jobs. So we need to continue on the path of smart financial decisions. So Wisconsin continues to be seen as an economic destination. We also need to raise up the next generation of really smart workers who are educated and ethical, but also really good leaders, people who care about their neighbors and their communities. And then additionally, we need to make sure that they're healthy. We talk a lot about our opioid epidemic here in Wisconsin. I co-chair the governor's task force on opioid abuse. And over the last number of days, we've talked a lot about pre-existing conditions. I've got one of those. And we want to make sure that our workforce is healthy and ready to continue to generate great things for Wisconsin's economy. We want to keep taxes low and wages high. And we want four more years of good stuff for our neighbors. The position of lieutenant governor doesn't have a lot of duties spelled out constitutionally. Um, you've been called really by people probably on both sides who support you and oppose you, probably one of the more active lieutenant governors to hold the position. How have you approached it? How have you shaped it in yourself? And what do you see going forward in, in that role? 
the lieutenant governor's position, yes, is a position of succession, and we understand that. There are also a number of boards that uh, the governor has appointed the lieutenant governor to chair or sit on in the past. Today, I serve as the co-chairman of the Task Force for Opioid Abuse and the Task Force on Minority Unemployment. I also chair the Interagency Council on Homelessness. Those things, though, are actually all born out of interests of mine. I have always felt that workforce development needs to be a part of our long-term strategy, and I see potential in all of those areas to make sure that we're moving forward with a continued educated ethical workforce. So I like to spend a a lot of time in those areas. As Lieutenant Governor, your political capital is your time is your advocacy because you don't legislate and you don't sign bills. And so the time I spend on the road listening to people and hearing their challenges and concerns, taking their good ideas back to the state capitol is time very well spent for me. And so that is how I spend a lot of my time, not only communicating out the administration's priorities on any variety of subjects and in any variety of cabinet agencies, but also just listening to folks. Because people in Wisconsin come from all different walks of life. Every experience is unique and different, and every person has something special to offer. Maybe that's because I used to be a reporter. I used to be a journalist, Mm -hmm. too. And that's one of the things that we're trained to do. Listen very closely, ask important questions, and then be a Socratic listener. Make sure that you fully understood before you walk away. The most important thing I think I can do as a lieutenant governor is assure that the governor is passed on the knowledge that I have gained by spending time with our Wisconsin neighbors. Yeah, you've, you've been a journalist. You've been in politics. You've had a lifetime of strangers criticizing you. That's what you get in those jobs. But I, I'm curious. I mean, I, I see a lot of the similarities between the two. But what made you want to become a reporter and what made you want to make the leap from that into running for office? I decided I wanted to become a journalist because initially I had been a marketing major. But midway through my college career, I decided that instead of telling the stories of products, I wanted to tell the stories of people. And today, in my job and capacity as lieutenant governor, I believe I sometimes do very similar things to what I did when I was a journalist. You get on the scene, you go behind the scenes, and you figure out what's going on. You try and listen hard to both sides and then make sure that you're analyzing each before you speak and let friends, neighbors, um, in my case, our cabinet, the governor, our leadership team, know what has been heard and what suggestions were made. I wanted to become a reporter because I thought people and their stories really mattered. I loved my career as a journalist. I only left because at that time, it was kind of -of out-of-the-box thinking to assert that a female news anchor might do her job part-time and then spend the other part of her day doing something else. Mm-hmm. I would go and and love my job every single day, but I loved my kid even more. And I wanted to spend more time with her, even though it was my mother-in-law there and, and my husband there. I wanted to be the one. And so I asked whether they would consider an arrangement like this. And they said, well, how about we give you more money? 
<laughs> and I said, well, I'm looking actually to negotiate with time, different commodity, and, and not money. Uh, how about this? How about you cut my salary? And then I go home in the second half of the day. And they said, okay, well, how about more, more money? <laughs> it ended up that we parted ways in a really terrific way. They found a, a wonderful woman to replace me. And I went to be home with Ella. And they said, anytime you want to come back and be on the news again, we'd welcome you with open arms when little Ella goes to kindergarten and you're looking for something to do during the day, give us a call. <laughs> Now, of course, I think things probably have changed a little bit. <laughs> I am out as a partisan, and I think people would know that I'm, I'm <laughs> not necessarily uh, the, the type of person who can hide her views. Yeah. And I think we've seen an evolution in journalism. People gather their news, their information online, and in many cases, not from a website. Many from applications, many from social media, and there's a lot of word of mouth. Also, the types of things that will attract someone to either an app or a URL are very different. You and I would probably call it clickbait. Mm -hmm. It's what encourages someone to click through and read a story, and unfortunately, I think when you drive your audience with clickbait, you're not necessarily being the ethical, unbiased, nonpartisan journalist that we once absolutely expected of our fourth estate. That's why I have incredible respect for those journalists who perform their jobs with the same type of ethics that Walter Cronkite would have admired. It, yeah, and it shapes the way that you end up doing your job. Because it does. You, people are getting their information in different ways, and they're Indeed. getting more consolidated, probably information that aligns with what they already believe. And yeah, good journalism is really important. And I think Wisconsin is a fantastic place from which to report because our politics are no kidding, like none other in the United States of America. We're a super purple state, mm -hmm. and the policies that we develop here have a tendency to go national. We produce evidence with the policies that we have here and implement, and that is a source of tremendous pride, but it's also a great source for stories because the, the national news is always interested in what's going on in Wisconsin, unfortunately. So are national influence peddlers who <laughs> would like to play an important part in the elections that happen here in Wisconsin. Very true. Um, yeah, I mean, talk to me about that. I know it's, it's, it hasn't just been under the Walker-Clayfish administration that this has been true. I mean, we go back to Tommy Thompson, welfare reform. It's long been the case that the nation has looked to Wisconsin, but it does seem that that's concentrated and amped up since you two took office. Um, what has that been like and why do you think that is? Obviously, Act 10 generated an insane amount of interest in what was going on in Wisconsin. Why is there so much conflict in Wisconsin? What's behind the vitriol in Wisconsin? And what we see now is an economy that's incredibly stable and, in fact, soaring. But I think one of the reasons Wisconsin got so much attention early on was because of Act 10. But the good news, of course, is our finances are now stable in perpetuity. And the unfortunate part is that we have states all across the country that are seeing the opposite. 
because either their politicians weren't brave enough to say, hey, listen, I'm willing to lose my job over this. I care so much about the checkbook and the finances in the future that I'm okay losing my job over doing the right thing. And I think you see something similar going on in Maine today over health care. Someone saying, hey, listen, I'm willing to lose my job over protecting people in the future because the future really, really matters to Governor Walker, and it really matters to me. I'm, I'm raising the future. I have a daughter who's in seventh grade and a daughter who is a sophomore in high school right now. They are Wisconsin's future. And I'm so glad that when we look at our checkbook, our finances in this state, we're not playing checkers. We're playing chess. We're not looking two moves ahead. We're not looking one move ahead. We're looking 10 moves down the board because we're caring about what's going to happen in our kids' futures. And you really need to look no further than our neighbor to the south, Illinois, because they have the type of unfunded pension liability that is really putting the future of their retirees in jeopardy. I can honestly say that in Wisconsin, because we have no unfunded pension liability, that's not going to happen to our retirees. We thought way out in the future, and I feel really good about what we have done here and how we've protected people, not just today, but well into our state's future. That, to me, is, is a blessing. I love security. I love stability. I love our rainy day fund. These things make <laughs> me sleep well at night. And that's why I think it's really important that we looked into the future before we made decisions like that. So these are things in the past that you're proud of. And when you talk about looking into the future, what are some specific policy goals you would like to see? I mean, you you are asking for four more years after accomplishing a lot of the things that you said you wanted to accomplish. So what comes next? That's the cool thing, I think, about Governor Scott Walker and me running for four more years. We can honestly point to the scoreboard, show you the W's, but then say, listen, these are things that we promised we were going to do, and then we did them. So if we promise you stuff right now, we're going to do it, and you can trust us because the best indication of what you're going to do in the future is what you've done in the past. One of the things that you and I have been talking a lot about, and I spend a lot of time on, is talent development, making sure that we have enough people with the right qualifications to keep the or to keep Wisconsin's economy going but make sure that we have enough folks to take our open jobs. One of the ways we do that is by keeping our top-notch college grads here in our state, making them our young professionals. Now, the cool thing is that you are like the living version <laughs> of this. You didn't go to school here in Wisconsin, but you grew up mm -hmm. here in Wisconsin. You returned to our state. We want our Midwestern millennials to return to our state. And so right now, we're spending some money on advertising to them because you're a trendsetter, and we would like everyone <laughs> to follow your lead, Jesse, and, and, and come back to our state. But for the folks who are going to school here, we know that student loan debt is an impediment to fiscal freedom. And so we want to offer our young people who are graduating from our Wisconsin universities and colleges up to $5,000 to stay here. That's a refundable tax credit. So that would happen on your taxes. And we want you to stay here. Also, we want you to use that money to repay your student loan debt. Right. <laughs> but, but, we also, but we also know that in many cases, folks are, are using their new salary as young professionals to re repay that debt. And they're going to use this $5,000 over five years to maybe pay their rent or 
or their utility bill, you name it, something that is related to their lifestyle because they have chosen Wisconsin. That's going to be a very important piece of growing our workforce, retaining our young professionals. But that being said, we also want to make sure that our rising young professionals, today's K-12ers, kids who are in kindergarten through 12th grade, we want to make sure that they are planning for a Wisconsin career as well. We've talked a lot about the growth in the trades. We need to have enough trained workers. That's why Governor Scott Walker wants to make sure that we bring apprenticeships all the way down to middle school, 7th and 8th graders, actually starting to, to work in and talk about career decisions. Last year, you remember, we fully implemented our academic and career planning curriculum statewide. That goes 6th grade all the way through 12th grade. Kids planning for adulthood and thinking about careers and then mapping out academic plans that will get them to their goals, along with the help of community mentors and teachers teachers and moms and dads and the whole crew behind them. But we also want to bring apprenticeship to those young people as well. The other thing is we know once folks are entering the workforce and then have families, we want to make sure that they can afford it. And so we want to match the federal child care tax credit. We think that that is going to encourage a lot more people to work to their fullest extent that they find rewarding. On top of that, we want to make sure that we're keeping our seniors here in Wisconsin. Our seniors are those who contribute so much, not only to our volunteer communities, but also the fabric of Wisconsin's communities. They are the ones that have a deep knowledge of the history and heritage of the state, but also big dreams and have raised the future of the state. We want to keep them here. And so we'd like to increase the homestead tax credit. That's basically how we help reduce property taxes for seniors in particular. So four big things that we'd like to work on and tackle in the next four years. But I would say the biggest challenge facing our state is assuring that we have the right workers and enough of them to take all of those jobs we have available. Wedge Issues is sponsored by Wispolitics.com. You can become a Wispolitics.com member. Find out more at Wispolitics.com slash membership. I got to ask you about two things that have landed you in the news in the last couple of weeks. Um, the first being little dust up with your opponent, Mandela Barnes, over kneeling during the national anthem, those protests to, to catch people up. It was a debate over whether NFL players ought to protest during the national anthem by kneeling and... Uh, you two went back and forth a little bit. You have since apologized, I believe, on the radio for repeating a claim that Mandela Barnes had kneeled during this. Can you just kind of walk me through, first of all, your personal feelings on this protest and then also uh, why you did repeat that claim and, and end up apologizing for that? I repeated it because I think the debate is really important and I should not have. And that's why I apologized. You shouldn't repeat something that you say without video evidence. And in today's day and age, people expect video evidence. And so the reason we're talking about this is because uh, there are very, very conflicting views on protest versus policymaking and the right time and place for all of those things. I think that you protest in order to change policy. That's the point. And rather than protest, I went right to the policymaking point. 
I, I didn't protest when I was at home with the girls. I saw that the economy was taking a downturn. And rather than choose that, I instead said, you know, I'm going to go right to where we can fix the problem. And I'm going to bring my value set and my principles and my private sector thoughts on this. And I want to go straight to the policymaking point. I think the other point in this great debate over the national anthem is whether the national anthem should be something to unite us or something to divide us. As a country, I think there are fewer, fewer things that serve to simply unite. And that's it. A moment where we can think about not only the best in our country, but our best hopes for this country. That, to me, is what our national anthem is about. It is aspirational. And it is also reflective, a time where we can think about those who have gone before us, who gave their lives for our freedoms and our liberties, appreciate those liberties, and also have a moment with our hand over our hearts, paying respect to those who are willing to sacrifice so much, whether they are our veterans, those who died in the line of duty, or even our law enforcement professionals of today who make up that thin blue line between the bad guys and the good guys who simply need to be protected. Uh, other news item is the ad that you cut on uh, pre-existing conditions, which has been a point of contention in the race. And you talk about your own experience with cancer in that ad. What is the, the plan to protect pre-existing conditions if that were to change at the federal level? And uh, why is this so personally important to you? This is personally important to me because I sometimes feel like the poster child for pre-existing <laughs> conditions. I was in the middle of my first ever political race. I had two little kids, ages four and seven. I was 35 years old, running against five men, most of whom had deep political experience, and I was by far not the choice of my own political party. And in the middle of this campaign that I felt was so worth it, about two weeks before my September primary election, I was told the words that 90 people a day in the state of Wisconsin hear, you have cancer. My tumor was about the size of a grapefruit. It had already broken through my colon wall and was moving up toward my liver. And I went for genetic testing. I ended up being genetic negative, but we didn't know that by the time the surgery was done because there was no time for those test results to be processed and get back because I started bleeding. If you have gut disease and you start to bleed, there's no choice. Mm -hmm. You have to go in. And the doctor did. And because God is great and my surgeon's awesome, he did the right surgery. I have half a colon. <laughs> and uh, I am a person with a pre-existing condition. And so I get it. I also get what it's like to go through chemotherapy. And I went through it in a different way than a lot of people do. I started chemo two days after my general election. And when the protesters came... And they began to taunt my children and issue death threats against me. I was going through chemotherapy that whole time. Well, radio hosts joked about whether I was wearing a wig or just styled my hair badly. I had lost half my hair. And so I know what it feels like. And I know what it feels like when people forget about that, don't give you a pass, and you get up 
and you work hard every single day because you believe in the reason that you are there. Before Obamacare, Wisconsin had protections for people like me with pre-existing conditions. If you were denied, you couldn't get, you couldn't find health insurance in the private market and you had a pre-existing condition, you came to us at Wisconsin and we said, okay, we've got a plan for that. It's called HERSP, which is an acronym for High Risk Insurance Sharing Pool. And we said, you can get insurance through that. You're protected if you have a pre-existing condition in Wisconsin. Well, then folks who believed in a, a different set of values and uh, a, a different set of hopes for health care in the United States passed Obamacare. Obamacare scares me as a person with a pre-existing condition because I see what has happened in the UK. I see what has happened in Canada. I see what has happened in Oregon as they form a Medicaid pilot suggestion that to me looks like nothing other than rationed health care. I see that in the UK in January alone, they canceled 50,000 surgeries. I see that last year they told people that if you're overweight or if you're a smoker, no surgery for you at all. And as a person with a pre-existing condition, I don't want to be told that I have to stand in the back of the line because I used up some health care once on a diagnosis that I didn't do anything to get. Think of women who are diagnosed with breast cancer or lupus. What did they do? They didn't do anything. Why should they be told to stand in the back of the line? It's not okay. I was a huge fan of the repeal and replace movement because if you repeal Obamacare, you do need to replace it with something that is going to protect people with pre-existing conditions. And that's what leads us to today. We have a lawsuit. As you know, Brad Schimmel, our terrific attorney general, is saying, hey, we don't like Obamacare the way it's written. We think that it's no good for people like me, Becky, <laughs> with pre-existing conditions and, and so many others. Um, and, and healthcare and insurance have only gotten more costly. And the president himself even warned about this. Barack Obama said that prices are going to necessarily skyrocket. Well, they did. And it's become very unaffordable for a lot of folks. So he's suing to end Obamacare as we know it so that we can replace it with something healthier that's going to drive costs down, that's going to protect people like me and so many others with pre-existing conditions. So right now, protections for people with pre-existing conditions exist in Wisconsin the same way protections existed for people with pre-existing conditions in Wisconsin before Obamacare. If the lawsuit were to end Obamacare, then the governor will call a special session and we'll just take up some version of that same bill that he proposed back in January that the assembly already passed that protects people with pre-existing conditions. You don't need Obamacare to do this. And the very fact that Tony Evers and his allies are trying to scare people into thinking that there should be a culture of fear around this is just downright wrong. And so that's why we cut the ad, because we need to explain this, that folks with pre-existing conditions like me, we're okay. We're okay today. We'll be okay tomorrow. As long as the governor and I are in office, people with pre-existing conditions are always going to be covered here in Wisconsin. Are you ready to move into the lightning round? Sure. Okay. Is there thunder too? Maybe. <laughs> 
could do a little drum roll. There's a there's a song about that. That's I've heard I've heard that. <laughs> um, okay. What is your favorite Wisconsin beer? Gosh, I've had the opportunity <laughs> to sample a lot over the years. Um Am I boring if I just say spotted cow? No, not at all. No, it's does everybody common, say that? Everybody says spotted cow. I suppose. If you have, I mean, we can assume that's your favorite. If you have like a second favorite, we can you can throw in a little mix. But yeah, well, okay. Instead that. of s- saying a second favorite, um, I'm going to tell you a, a story that, that goes back to when I was very first elected, and um, it was post chemo. Obviously, I didn't drink while <laughs> I was on chemo, but I try to. Um, anytime I am out, I I don't drink a lot. Yeah. publicly, and, and I, I don't drink a lot of <laughs> That sounded absolutely awful. But when I do order a beer um, and I am out of state, I always make sure that I order it in a bottle and I turn the label out, um, especially Miller products, which obviously have a very, very long history right. here in Wisconsin. And I always ask first if they have a Miller High Life. Because you've got the the girl in the moon and uh, yeah. a wonderful old logo, I think that causes people to ask questions, and it's a good conversation starter. When you've got your label out, you're really obvious yeah. about your advertising of your own state. Mm-hmm. It's kind of fun. I like that. I I love the High Life label and High Life. It's one of my favorites too. So, um, okay. So we we know what you disagree with your opponents on. Can you say something you admire or respect about Tony Evers or Mandela Barnes? Well, I obviously uh, admire and respect Tony Evers' fight with cancer. I think anyone would say the same. If if you've gone through it, you've got mad respect for anyone else who has walked the same path. And I, I get it. I, I know what it feels like. We just have very differing opinions on what's Obamacare and a path to that type of medicine system in this country would do for folks like us. And so I've, I've got to have respect for him as a cancer survivor, 100%. Great. What is the best advice that your parents or a loved one gave you growing up? My, my dad was a salesman. He brought my sister and me up on an envelope salesman's salary in an era where Al Gore invented the internet. And I watched him work harder and their company choose to diversify rather than quit. And my dad always taught me, my mom too, to set goals, achieve them, replace them with new ones immediately. And my mom was a small business owner. She owned a dance studio for 10 years. So she did the exact same thing. Great role models. I love my folks. Um, My dad, though, uh, died when he was 52 of pancreatic cancer. So I suppose that has informed my beliefs on healthcare as well. It particularly informed my belief on right to try Mm -hmm. because I remember calling all over the world any scientist, any healthcare center, anywhere in order to find the next best thing to keep my dad alive so that it would give the next best thing a moment to come around so that he would have access to that. So my parents were were awesome, gave me lots of advice, but the best advice I've ever been given, and perhaps the advice I impart most often, particularly on working people, who have to wake up every day and make choices and choices and choices and choices is you can have it all. You just can't have it all at once. That's really good advice. I was told that in the middle of my decision-making process on whether I was going to stay in television or whether I was going to go. Yeah. 
and a very wise woman who is still at that network affiliate and chose to, to stay at work um, told me that as I was making my decision. And I thought to myself, I have a career now. I can have a career again. But what I'm going to choose right this moment is to have a career at home with my girls. And then I will do something else because I'm a hard enough worker to prove my merits and show people that I can contribute. Um, who are your, your role models in politics? In politics? Oh, golly. I suppose you say Ronald Reagan and you say Margaret Thatcher. You know, I'm, I'm going to be super dorky uh, for a moment, and I'm going to say Scott Walker for <laughs> a, a piece of advice that he gave me. Okay. Very early on, he, he sat down with a bunch of folks that I thought should have tremendous respect for him because he's the newly minted governor. He's the governor. He's the governor. <laughs> you know, he's the he's the head of government. And I watched them be very unkind. I was shocked at some of the word choice. I was shocked at how how casually they were going about this. And afterward, he said to me, I've worked with these folks, most were from Milwaukee County. I've worked with these folks for a number of years, and we are all friends. What I have learned is to never personalize political differences. People in the legislature, and even us in the executive branch, you know, we're, we're actually friendly. Mm-hmm. Political differences are not always equated to personal differences. If you find commonalities. If you find ties, they can bind. Yeah. What is the best concert you have ever attended? Oh, I am about to reveal myself as a total nerd. I think my kids have been to more concerts than <laughs> I have. No, they haven't. They've they've been to two and I've I've been to two. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're tired. Well, okay. I, I don't know. Is it James Taylor in college or Jimmy Buffett in college? Wow. Um I know that's really, really lame. That's just not where I chose to spend my money yeah. when I was in college. Yeah. I had a job uh, hostessing and busing at a Mexican restaurant when I was in college, and I chose to spend my money on food that was not in my meal plan. We all have a preference. I really owned that freshman 15, <laughs> Jesse. Okay? Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> Um, you, you, you guys have a, a dog, right? I was going to ask mm-hmm. pets. Um, tell me a little bit about your dog. Uh, she's a German short hair pointer, so she's a hunter. And she's great at flushing, and she is great at retrieving. So those are the great things about her. <laughs> she's very useful <laughs> when she's hunting. Uh, she's just a lot. Uh, if if people are familiar with this breed at all, they're just they got a lot going on mm-hmm. at all times, and she's just – she's a lot. And we don't do doggy daycare, so when, <laughs> when, when we get home, uh, we are we are up for oh. a, a solid half hour yeah. of nonstop tennis ball throwing. She's a fantastic dog. We absolutely love her, and she is really good at her job of flushing and retrieving and, and all that jazz. This Okay, this question might be tough because you get to do a lot of Wisconsin things as lieutenant governor, but I like to ask people if they had a Wisconsin bucket list, so just like stereotypically Wisconsin things, something that you've never done that you would like to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
I do a lot of Wisconsin things, but you have to remember most of our fun vacation destination stuff, I don't actually get to go do. I go there for work. And then I leave after 15 minutes of, you know, talking and meeting with people, and I never get to see the fun stuff. And so I would like to go to Door County for vacation. Um, I would like to go to the Apostle Islands. I would like to ride that pizza train that actually is just over the border. Um, But they talk about it constantly in Superior. I would like to go and do those those pizza farms out west bucket list for other people the stuff that i have been able to do a house on the rock is super fun and i think weird but i know but it's i I mean it's like going black friday shopping you are on (laughs) such information overload you have to take a nap after going there it's so neat and you can spend the entire day there the other thing that i would encourage people to do is go to cave of the mounds because that's fascinating. You do not need to go to Kentucky. You don't need to go to Mammoth Cave. We've got something that's really, really great right here in our home state. Last lightning round question. Favorite Wisconsin cheese? I feel like I am I am picking a favorite child right now. Yeah, so I'm not well, actually... But you are, yeah. I know. But so what I'm going to do is I'm not actually going to choose a company and choose their... That's fair. ...particular cheese. Um, I'm going to go with... Uh, Butter casa, yeah, because I feel like that is something special. Or I'm going to go with a soft goat cheese because I feel like that is is special and it can make any dinner that's lame feel fancy. There are some folks who produce really amazing hard cheeses that are award winners and they're so aged and well done that they almost have like little flavor crystals in yes. there. I sound like Those, a no, dork, the, but... No, like the most exciting thing about eating cheese for me is the crystals. Flavor crystal! Yeah. Come out. It's yeah. magic. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming in. I will let you close us out with any closing message you might have for people who are listening. Am I allowed to ask for votes on this podcast? You are. Okay. We need your vote. Governor Scott Walker and I have a record of doing what we say we are going to do, and Wisconsin has had a tremendous turnaround. It's hard to tell our story without pressing rewind for a moment and recalling that we had a 9.3% unemployment rate when we first asked for these jobs. Today, it has been 3% or beneath 3% for the last six months going. Wages are up in Wisconsin The number of job opportunities are up in Wisconsin. The number of unemployed initial claims is down in Wisconsin. And we are now seen as a destination worldwide for economic development. Because of that, we're really investing in our future workers, who we hope will be today's K-12ers. That's why last year, when we sent our kiddos back to school, we had an additional $200 per child directly into the classroom in a special type of aid that doesn't make a stop off at administration offices, goes right into the class with the kids. And then this year when we sent them back, another $204 per child. It's why we've doubled our fab lab, our fabrication laboratories where you do science, technology, engineering, and math applied and and work-based learning. 
It's why we are hopeful for all of those young people to go on to our great university system where we've frozen tuition for the last six years and hope to freeze it for four more because we know that a college education sometimes makes all the difference in a worker's ability to have the disposable income they want and the lifestyle that they are seeking. We don't want people to worry about that, and that's one of the reasons why in the next four years we really want to implement that five-year tax credit of up to $5,000 for our young professionals. It's also why we want young people talking about our in-demand industries and bring apprenticeships down to seventh and eighth grade, middle school level. We want to keep our seniors in their houses. We're going to increase their homestead tax credit to make sure that their property taxes are not eating up a fixed income. And we also want more men and women to choose to be in the economy if before they were worried about making that leap. And so we want to match the federal child care tax credit because we care about everybody being in the economy who wants to be there. And once they're there, we want them to be really successful. So look for four more years of great policies because you have always been able to count on the governor and me to implement what we say we're going to do. Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our theme music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. We'll be back next week and every Friday with brand new episodes, so make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or review if you like what you hear. And if you're a fan of this podcast, you can check out our other Cap Times podcasts like The Corner Table and The Mad Splainers. If you have feedback or suggestions for me, you can reach me on Twitter at jessieopie, J-E-S-S-I-E-O-P-I-E, or you can email me at j-o-p-o-i-e-n at madison.com. We'll see you next week. Wedge Issues has been brought to you by Wispolitics.com. There are plenty of benefits to becoming a member. You can go to Wispolitics.com slash membership to find out more.